This episode is brought to you in part by Zondervan, publisher of The Perilous Fight, Overcoming Our Culture's War on the American Family, written and narrated by retired neurosurgeon and politician Dr. Ben Carson. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. Black preaching, I believe, is more than preaching with a black face. It is a unique cultural narrative and theological enterprise where African motifs meet diverse Western influences of North America. A beautiful, bold, homiletical voice, poetry, prophetic witness, Southern storytelling, lament, blues, and celebration are born out of this tradition. This is Pass the Mic. Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pass the Mic. Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church, powered by The Witness, a black Christian collective. I'm your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter at Burns23. Follow at your own risk. And joining me, as always, is the president of The Witness, the man, the myth, the legend, the best-selling author, Mr. Blue Check Verified himself, Jamar Tisby. What's going on, brother? What's up, man? This is another great topic, and I'm excited to hear from you, a student of this subject. Listeners are in for a treat. As you probably heard, we are talking about The Witness of Preaching Part 2 in our series on Can I Get a Witness? This is from the one of the greatest preachers alive today, Dr. Otis Moss III, uh, from his book, Blue Note Preaching in a Post-Soul World, Finding Hope in an Age of Despair. So today we're going to talk about this idea of black preaching and also the black church as well. And as you know, I'm so excited about this. Last week, you got to nerd out about history and <laughs> all that type of stuff yes. in our past. And you're the roots guy. And I'm kind of the soul guy. You know, I need to get a little shouted. You know, I need to get a little sermon, that's man. Good. So yes. I, I'm a pastor. And so this is near and dear to my heart. Yes, yes. And that's where I think we should start. Because Tyler Burns is the international man of mystery here. Like, what are you if, talking about? If you delved into this man's this life, not true. Like, who he knows, what he does, the jobs he's had, you would be like, who is this guy? I thought I knew him because I've been listening to Pastor Mike all these years. You think you know, but you have no idea. So, Tyler Burns, let's start with your day job because, believe okay, it or not, yes. Pastor the Mike is not what you do full time. No. So. You or, are a pastor. Or part-time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but your primary vocation is yes. as a pastor. Tell us about that. Yeah, so I've been a pastor since 2010. Um, was ordained on Easter Sunday, 2010. Um, when I was 21 years old, I would not recommend it to anyone else, but it's just my journey, my story. Um, so my father founded the church that I currently serve at in 1992. And in August of last year, I was ordained lead pastor, went from youth pastor to lead pastor um, of the church. And my church is New Dimensions in Pensacola, Florida. I absolutely love it. It's where, you know, not everybody can say that they get to serve in the place where they met Jesus, mm -hmm. where they were discipled, where they were challenged, where they went through failures um, and successes. 
a church that's cheered me on, that's championed everything that I do. And it's truly my family. Um, and so now to be able to serve them, I, I always like to say, especially to our older members, this is a return on your investment. Okay. <laughs> so, nice. yeah. So now I get to serve them as, as their pastor, which is odd even to say, but here we are. Yeah. That's beautiful, man. And and for those who don't know, because he never releases like his sermons or anything. Nope. But Tyler <laughs> is a nope. preacher. He is a preacher, you, man. That, if you hear him, he's like a ninja on the mic for a podcast. Now imagine that in a sermon, right? Like he does. I don't, know about, it. All, I oh, don't know about all good. that, man. He be telling me some little stuff. I know I can pick <laughs> up on it. So, so I love preaching. I have to say, I just I love preaching. Is is what I do, and I think preaching is also what connects me to larger uh, black church as well, black church tradition, which is really a core part of you know the idea of the witness of preaching. It's really the witness of the black church, right? So that's what we're talking about today: the witness of preaching. As you are a preacher and a student of preaching, mm. you reference Otis Moss the third in the quote. So Uh-oh. I want to know who's the preacher's preacher. Um, who are your top three influences as far as shaping the way you think and, and preach? There are so many names that I could go through. I'll say, I'll start by the easiest one. Right, easiest one is Gardner Gardner Calvin Taylor. Okay, known as the dean of preaching, who has since passed on. Uh, but Gardner Taylor is probably the best preacher of the 20th century. Uh, He was a pastor in New York and he was known universally as this eloquent, creative, culturally connected voice. And, you know, if you listen to Gardner Taylor, he has this distinct way of speaking. So he has this really unique voice and it kind of almost sounds like this. And you, you're listening and it's almost like he's this, you know, thespian. You know, that's kind of how he sounds. But he uses an economy of words. And listening to Gardner Taylor, his vocabulary is just phenomenal. So it, it it's interesting because every single Sunday before I preach, um, whenever I preach, my routine is to listen early in the morning at 5 a.m. to a wide view through a narrow window, my favorite Gardner Taylor sermon, um, or it's commonly called I Know My Redeemer Lives um, from Job. So I like to listen to that. That encourages me. Uh, so Gardner Calvin Taylor, for sure. Uh, number two, hmm, man, now I got to kind of choose like a modern uh, preacher. I-, I would say... Y'all going to throw stones at me. <laughs> Y'all going to get at me. But T.D. Jakes, man. T.D. Jakes. Man, I get it. T.D. Jakes, man. I get it. I If if you want to talk, and, and a lot of people don't know about old T.D. Jakes. Mm, talk about it. Like pre-entertainment T.D. Jakes. He could preach anywhere to anyone and it didn't matter. Like he was so gifted. And he was so faithful to the text, too, mm. which is a core tenet of black preaching. You know, I know people have different theological persuasions, but man, one of the core tenets of being part of a black church tradition is you don't have to agree with everybody on every single point, And we don't have to always use disclaimers, but we'll get into that later. But man, T.D. Jakes, it just the the command of the stage and the communication and the the mix of psychology and philosophy and sociology, all in theology, uh, it's just... I mean, he's a genius. I mean, whatever, right? Like, he's a master orator. Yeah. 
Like he yeah. really he is knows the craft and and the craft is and just, a homiletician, right? Yeah, it, yeah. I'm sorry, I can't get past it. And then finally, man, I thought about this. I, it would actually be my father, man. Okay, it would actually okay, be Greg Burns, long. man. Um, you know, my dad has this way of communicating and preaching, and it influenced me in a way that was so. I didn't see it till many years later. I didn't see it till many years later. But one of the moments that really cemented it for me was a few years back, my father is the youngest son of of seven siblings. So there's eight kids in the family. And none of them have passed uh, until, none of them had passed away until his eldest brother, uh, June, we call him Uncle June, passed away. And so it was a very emotional time. So I was actually the one who told my dad that his brother passed. Um, They were able to get in contact with me first. And so I had to break that news to him. And he preached his eulogy. Mm. And I've heard my dad preach a lot of eulogies. But in the moment when he would have been feeling the most grief, bro, he preached. Hmm. He took in the last point. This is what I love about black preaching. He took in the last point, he took his name, his brother's name, which is Marshall. Right. And so Marshall means lover of horses. And so he took the name Marshall. And because I grew up around horses, whenever the family would come in town from Mississippi, they would ride horses. So he said Marshall loved horses. He took lover of horses and his practical love of horses and flipped it into the white horse. Oh, wow. Yo, that joint was crazy. (laughs) I said, that's black preaching. Uh. Because it was the moment when he should have felt the worst where he was able to preach his best. Mm-hmm. And it was in the midst of the suffering yes. when the word yes. came alive. Yes. And I was like, I'm trying to be like that, <laughs> you know. But that was that was honestly the best sermon I've ever heard live. Wow. In in a moment in a moment of great distress. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So those would be, I guess, my three. I mean, there's so many other preachers. I mean, there's there's women like Gina Stewart and okay. Uh, Claudette Copeland and Frank Thomas and you know there's there's so many a uh, John Faison oh my goodness yeah, you know, yeah, John yeah Faison. John. so there's just so many that I could go into but I'll stop there so so all of the folks you mentioned as influences are black mm-hmm. and then you also referenced okay this is this is quintessential black preaching right yes so for those of us who are not uh, as schooled in the art as you are describe black preaching what are its core tenets what distinctives. You know, I I think you have to talk about black preaching as connected to the broader black church tradition first, right? That black preaching is the space where the black church basically is animated and comes alive. And so the theology, the witness, the uh, lament, the celebration is all embodied within this one act of black preaching. Even the song, right, which comes from this idea that black preachers will often hoop and they're mm-hmm. often, you know, do what they call the intonation and to sing at the end of their their sermons. But if you're going to talk about what black preaching is, we have to go to the scholars. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Frank Thomas basically gives these six core tenets of what black preaching is known for, the characteristics of this tradition. The first is experiential preaching. So it's kind of this eyewitness take on the text. Uh, The second is the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So there's this kind of spirit-led movement 
um, even to say certain things, right? And the way you say certain things, yeah. that that's a spirit-led it's endeavor. It's not always in the script. Exactly. Exactly. Sometimes the spirit will say certain things that you're not expecting. Um, number three, the centrality of scripture so that the Bible is so important to the preacher and what the text says and how it speaks. Um, number four, biblical scholarship to meet human need. So it's taking an understanding of theology and personalizing it, making mm. it incarnational, um, which is so important. Uh, number five, one of my favorites, suspense that leads to celebration. So almost this sense that there's a level in which you don't know where the text is going to come from. You don't know where the preacher is going. And then finally, the performative nature of the sermon. And this is something that's harder for other cultures to understand, but the way we preach, there is a, there is a reason why we preach the way we preach. Hmm. There is a reason why our, our bodies are involved, that there's a physicality to preaching. Like there's a reason why there's a, swagger to the way we preach Mm. and it's not because we want to be the center it's because that's part of our tradition and there's a compensation and there is a consideration of all that we've been through that to see someone fully embodied in that moment preaching with authority the word of god the Mm. gospel of jesus christ is liberative and it's also uplifting for the psyche and the consciousness of those who are listening. My goodness. So those were like, are like six elements. That's like Cliff Notes version yeah. of this is what black preaching is. Right. Well, so you talk about the core tenets, these these six that uh, you outlined here. But you also said, you know, black preaching is really an extension of the black church and the black Christian tradition. How do those two things connect? Like, yeah. what's the development yeah. that makes black preaching black preaching? Yeah. So... Everything is connected to the lived experience, right? So everything is connected to the lived experience of what it means to be black in a particular context. Uh, Henry Mitchell, who's basically known as the godfather of black preaching, would say that black preaching at its core is a reclamation of the black identity, Mm. right? After all the gospel, after all the core tenets of, you know, sin and the cross and the resurrection, it's designed to be the reclamation of the black identity, Um, And so it's designed to call out something in the audience. That's why you have that idea of call and response, right? So the preacher calls and then something comes out of the audience. And this is why I think it's, you know, to parenthetically interject, this is why I think it's really important for us to think about preaching in the black church as core to what it means to be a witness. Not that you have to attend a black church, not that you have to serve in a black church, but you have to pull from that tradition. Because there is a level of spirit-led spontaneity. Mm-hmm. There's a level of spirit-led movement that can't be measured by dictionaries or education or words. You know, it, it's it's almost this sense of of untamed leading from God mm-hmm. that really gives us power. Yeah. And so as we think about that call and response, the the black church in and of itself comes from this place of speaking from the margins and speaking from an oppressed motif. And even if we're not necessarily explicitly liberationist in our, in our motif, we come from this idea of speaking from how society has treated us. Yes. Right. The underside of the text. And that God has something to say about it. Exactly. Yes. So I think really, you know, again, I just, there's so many people to quote, but I think, 
the best way I can put it is there are four core tenets of the black church experience, four areas. And Dale Andrews talks about this. The first is the image of God, the Imago Dei, so that the image of God draws out the idea that we are not worth less, but we are worth something enough to maintain our dignity in a world that will put us down. Uh, number two, definitely the Exodus motif. So this idea of um, liberation, this idea of coming out of bondage. Third, the uh, suffering redemptive nature of Jesus Christ. So that Christ suffered in a similar way to how we have suffered. So he identifies with it. And then finally, eschatology in the kingdom of God. Things won't always be like this. So this is how you get some of these black church phrases and traditions, right? Okay. I don't look like what I've been through. I quoted that, right? Mm-hmm. I don't look like what I've been through. You know, trouble ain't going to last always. You know, God is good all the time. And all the time, God, God is, is good. good. Well, all these things draw on a rootedness of who we are and why we are and how we are. And all those things are, are in, intricately connected. So you have set up this really rich, intricate, exquisite tradition of black church, black Christian, black preaching. What are some things that you've noticed that people get wrong about the black preaching tradition? Misconceptions, um, you know, shallow understandings, correctives, if you could. Well, I say two things. First is it's we we have an embodied tradition. Okay, so we don't disembody our theology. So we don't approach theology just with our minds. Like people say, just think. It's like, what what do you mean? Like <laughs> thinking thinking rightly will lead to leads to right. how I act, leads to my emotions. We love the God with all we love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Holistic. Not only that, but this is why we're so passionate and excited. For me, preaching is always extremely physical. Mm. And I think, and you know, I'm not saying this as a prescriptive. I'm saying, because I don't think there's one way to preach black. I don't mm. think that's that's the idea. Yeah, it's not a okay. monolith, right? Okay. There's a continuum here. So some people say, well, I don't, you know, I, I talk about this all the time. I don't hoop, right? So just, just because I don't sing at the end of my sermon doesn't mean I'm not doing black preaching or drawing from that tradition, right? There's There's a spectrum here. At the same time, I, I think that if if you're not excited about the text, mm-hmm. this ain't no lecture. Mm-hmm. It's fire shut up in my bones. Yeah. So if you're not excited about the text, if you're not, um, you're not moving with the text, if you're not experiencing the text in a holistic yeah. way, yeah. It's not black black preaching. It's a mind, body, soul thing. It's got it. There has to be something in you that almost gets to the place of whoa, like he believes this, she believes this, right? Um, And so I think this idea that that there's there's not an embodied, there's a disembodied way in which we should control yourself, and you know you don't need all this energy. Just preach the word and just chosen. (laughs) Yeah. And and, and that's a misconception about it. And then I think the the other misconception is that we don't care about scholarship. Wow. Speak on it. Yeah. It's, it's so emotional that it's not intellectual. Exactly. It's absolute nonsense (laughs) that we don't care about scholarship. As a matter of fact, I would put our scholarship 
Not saying from the context of we're smarter, we know more. I just put our scholarship against anyone because we have to interpret scripture and life and people and society and culture and art all in one. And we don't see them as disconnected. And we don't see them as, as separated. But we see a Toni Morrison quote and we see a Kendrick Lamar lyric and we see a movie and we see a fact of history and we see what, you know, Elder Giles went through mm-hmm. and we can connect mm-hmm. all that. Mm-hmm. And that's, but we care about scholarship yes. and we care about how God speaks to all of us. As Tell well. me about illustrations. Like one of the yeah. things that stands out to me about any black preaching is not simply narrative, although that's a, that's a huge and strong strain, but the ability to weave in like metaphor yeah. and, 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 you know, they'll be telling a story about something everyday in common, like your father, right? Mm-hmm. Horses. Yeah. And then tie it into the eschatological return <laughs> of Jesus, right? <laughs> like, how is that? How do they do? Like, I'm just used to certain, you know, the three-point sermon, which is fine. It's It's got good stuff there. But, you know, beginning, middle, end, the end may tie back to the beginning a little bit, but it's not like this grand drama yeah. that I yeah. see in so much really good black preaching. Well, before we get to that, we have to take a break. We got to pay some bills here. <laughs> so... <laughs> Listen in as we get a word from our sponsors. Then we're going to come back and talk a little bit more about the witness of preaching. This episode is brought to you in part by Pittsburgh Theological Seminary. Pittsburgh Theological Seminary students are grounded in faith and formed in community. PTS students are preparing for ministry with Master of Divinity, Master of Arts, Doctor of Ministry, and Certificate Programs. Begin your Master's or Certificate Program in person or online. Financial aid is available. Visit pts.edu admit. So... I just want to know from a student of black preaching, particularly how black preachers or what the approach is to weave together narratives and metaphors into something that stirs the soul as well as stimulates the mind. So one example I think of is that uh, the the eagle stirs its nest, you know, this really mm-hmm. famous uh, sermon yeah. by a black preacher. C.L. Franklin. You know, and, and like... It, it, it's a, it's so famous because he draws you into the story and the metaphor and the narrative. I mean, talk about that. There is a part of our story, and this is a part of Black identity, Black creativity, Black art, Black culture. There is a part of our story that doesn't color within the lines and doesn't operate by the same rules. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like, so when I talk about the diversity of art and how it works itself into preaching, there are rules there, right? Okay. There are, there are rules yeah. to people. You can't talk about this. Can you say this? Can you mention that? Can you quote them? Like, there are rules. And what I think the idea is, is so much of our preaching is, in the American context, is concerned more with either accuracy or practicality. Okay. So it's concerned with being theologically 
like to the letter, to the core tenet, to the jot and the tittle accurate. Or being super practical, three steps to your best life, four steps to a healthy marriage, five mm. steps. And there's nothing wrong with that. Mm. Nothing wrong with either of those. Those are important. But what is missed in the accuracy and in the practicality is the fluency. Huh. How are you living this? Make it come alive. Huh. And that's why black preaching is an experience. Yes. It's an experience. And so it's not that other preaching is not an experience, but there's a unique level of experience here. The experience is based upon this idea. Well, I'll, I'll say it from me, okay? From my perspective. This is how I preach, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to let you hit on this, okay? So if you talk about preaching mission statement, I want people, as they encounter Jesus in the text or encounter God's work within the text, to be three things, deeply disturbed, deeply moved, deeply curious. Disturbed, moved, curious. Deeply disturbed, deeply moved, deeply curious. So the first element is deeply disturbed. It's a challenge. Uh, The text is always going to implicate you. It's always going to get in your face. It's always going to show you something that you didn't expect. It's going to subvert your your privileged context, or it's going to subvert your context of interaction. It's going to draw something in you that pulls on a on a level or a space that you haven't experienced yourself, right? So every text, you know, I want it to be pulling, right? Disturbing you. Then it's deeply moved. It's so beautiful. Hmm. And then it draws on your personal relationship with God, hmm. that God is not just some God far away. He's not just transcendent, but he's imminent. He's incarnational. He wrapped himself up in human flesh, right? So that's... It's, it's romance. And then deeply curious, it's intellectual, it's mind. This God that I've been drawn near to, how do I find out more about him, right? I want it to be one-third action thriller, <laughs> one-third romance, one-third documentary. Mm. That's how I want to preach. Mm. I want it to be thriller, romance, documentary. So I, that requires placing you in the moment because my goal, how God has wired me to preach my goal is you have to be unsettled because okay. it's in the unsettling that you see God from a different perspective. So you're standing over in the corner. I've got to pull you to the center and say, see, and then you're like, wait, I see. I want to learn more about him. That's good. And that's the movement of preaching that I'm trying to that's me. Uh, you so, know, there are other seminarians and homileticians <laughs> who are way better at this, been doing it for way, way more years. But what I can speak to is the idea that that's what drew me to Jesus. Mm. What drew me to Jesus is that the picture was painted of this God who was operating in a way that other gods didn't operate and was doing things that other gods didn't do. And there was something in it that disturbed me enough to pull me in and I became insatiably curious about who, mm. who is this God? So let's make it concrete. Tell us about your last sermon. No, no, no. You get deeply moved, <laughs> deeply disturbed, this deeply curious. This yes. is not fair. This is not fair. You got, you got to make it plain, make it's it real. It's not fair. Okay. Um, <laughs> Want to know how it's done in practice. What's it sound like? Okay. So, uh, 
I'll go two sermons ago, okay? Two sermons ago. I preached a sermon called Are We There Yet? It was a vision series, right? So we're talking about, or a vision sermon. So we're talking about vision, and, and I said, you know, the context is are we there yet, right? So I talked about road trips. I said road trip is so awesome. It's exciting, right? So I talked about road trips, and I talked about some road trip essentials. So I pulled out some road trip essentials, some of the things that I need, I have to have on a road trip. So you're pulling people in. They're like, yeah, 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 of course, of course, of course. Um, I need headphones, I need Sour Patch Kids, I need, <laughs> you know, music, and I need a pillow for my back or a pillow for my head if I'm, you know, not driving. And, and then I said, everybody loves road trips, but road trips will test a relationship. <laughs> you want to find out if you're on, a, on good terms with somebody, take them on a road trip. Mm. You'll find out. Well, what did I say? You're driving too fast. You're driving too slow. It's too hot. It's too cold. You're not going the right way. I told you to take this interstate. I told you. But the number one question is what? Are we are there, we there yet? yet? That's the number. So you responded. Mm-hmm. That's the goal right there. <laughs> so everybody responds. Okay, well, now you're with me. Yeah. So now let's pull you in further, right? I said, not only is that the number one question in a road trip, that's the number one question at the end of a year. Mm-hmm. It was the end of 2019. Are we there yet? Have we achieved everything that we would like to achieve? Have we attained the level to which we would expect it to? Have we accomplished all of our goals? Are we there yet? And I said, the problem is we think it's all about destinations. We think it's all about achievement. We think it's all about getting to the top of the mountain. But I said, arrivals are overrated. Mm. Arrivals are overrated. It's less about the destination, more about the journey. That's so. And good. then we were off. Yeah, that's <laughs> right? good. And there was some other stuff. I'm just off the top of my head. I don't have no notes. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but and then we're off, and that's like where people are like, oh, so I'm going somewhere, and this is a journey, and let me walk through this. Okay, so the text Genesis 12, right? So it's talking yes. about Abram. Yep. And how God told Abram to leave. But it was also a parallel text as well. Genesis 12 and Hebrews 11. Mm. So it talks about, in retrospect, what happened. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes you can't see what's going on while you're in it. You have to see what it would look like at the end, right? Beginning with the end in mind. And so we talked about this idea. And so I said we have three movements here. We go from familiarity to new territory from individuality to legacy, Mm. and then finally from adversity to victory. Mm. And so I talked about these three movements alongside the text in Genesis. So it's still three points. Yeah. It was still three points. But I talked about it alongside Hebrews 11 and then Genesis 12, right? And tied in specific scriptures and motifs. So it's still textual. So as you'll see, it's still expository. So I'm still going verse by verse. But at the same time, it's different because it's a parallel text yeah i feel you now the actually the tie-in and you would actually like this because i see this now on my slides but actually the tie-in that i use as we talk about destinations was um kevin hart (laughs) so i talked about the kevin hart documentary right now we've talked about this yeah this idea that kevin is so maniacally moved to make it yeah like he has to he's like i can't be broke i can't be broke i can't be broke i was like "How, how what's his net worth Tens nine, of millions. Nine figures. <laughs> yes. It's $200 million. <laughs> so I said, as we think about New Year, as we think about our next step, as we think about 
our next vision, we tend to have, and this was kind of the core of the intro too, we tend to have a promised land prism. Hmm. So we view things by the idea of have I made it to the promised land? And if I'm not there, I'm a failure. Mm -hmm. But that's why arrivals are overrated because it's about the journey to get you there. My, my, my. (laughs) Right? So that's why I use Kevin Hart to draw me and says, Kevin Kevin can only see through a promised land prism. I want to be a billionaire icon. Yeah. That's so much so he can't enjoy the journey. Yeah. That's why he's maniacally working. Right? And so it's good to have a work ethic. But the problem is if, what is it? Profit a man to gain the whole world. And yes, see, see, that's it right there. So that's just one sermon. I love it. Example. I love and there, it. Are, there are pastors, preachers who do it way, way better and who do have their own philosophy. But this is the idea is I think black preaching allows such a range of individuality. You preach connected to your personality. Yeah. You preach connected okay. to who you are. Oh my gosh. You need a whole podcast just on preaching. We've are, we talked about this. Oh, <laughs> Bo's yeah. giving me that look like <laughs> when you when it coming. <laughs> Let me ask you one more question. Sure. Um, we talked earlier about preaching being so like so fixated on precision and accuracy or practical application, et cetera, et cetera. And just from my own experience, going to a predominantly white seminary, uh, taking preaching class and you always had to give two or three sermons. That was the most nerve-wracking preparation. Sure. Because it wasn't just, oh, I'm preaching, or I'm preaching in front of my peers, or even I'm preaching for a grade. It was, you knew in this context that you had to check every theological box, Hmm. or be considered heterodox, heretical, somehow off, right? So, I think that part of that is is a very sort of Eurocentric white... American construct. How do we decolonize our preaching? Man. (laughs) Okay, first of all, you have to read the right authors. (laughs) Listen to the right people. Um, Definitely Frank Thomas, Martha Simmons, Otis Moss. Um, There are dozens and dozens more that I'm not thinking of right now. But if I would say humbly, as a, am not an expert. I'm an aspiring practitioner here. So I'm learning about myself every single day. I would say humbly. Um, we need to decolonizing our preaching and decolonizing the way that we live out our faith starts by not trying to prove that we belong on platforms we already stand on. Okay. It starts you got a sermon with, coming right now. Come on. It starts with we stand on the platform. You you go to seminary. You go to seminary and it's a great thing. You receive an education. You receive tools that you wouldn't be able to receive otherwise. You receive rigor and deadlines and you're pushed. And you're also in the community of other scholars. And you stand up after having been called, after having received instruction, after having been a minister in practical context. And now you feel like you need to prove that you belong. Now, there's one element that says evaluation is the most necessary way of critique and it helps you, it builds you. I have evaluators, I understand it. But there's a level to which we start apologizing for our identity. We start apologizing for how unique we are. We start apologizing for being different. We start apologizing for interpreting ourselves in the way God has called us, not in the way that everybody else has fit inside the lines and stayed. My lane isn't your lane. 
my audience isn't your audience. My, my approach isn't your approach. Yeah. And there's a way that that can become like, oh, I'm above critique. I don't believe that's that's actually the essence of humility. I'm going to stand in the way and preach in the way God has called me to. Mm. And that might be extremely boisterous and over the top. And it might be more reserved or it might be creative or it might be narrative or it might be expository. It might be topical. It might be any of those. But what has God called you to do? Do the people around you affirm that? Mm. Do your counselors and leaders see that in you? And if they've given you the platform, don't apologize for My it. Word. We start apologizing for being there, especially wow. in white settings. Especially, I see, I see it so many times. Black preachers step into white settings and they feel like they have to earn the respect of the audience. Yep. yep. And it's a good thing to make sure that you're connected to your audience. They feel like, oh, let me prove something to you. Let me prove I know. Let me prove I'm, I'm capable or let me prove I can put myself and my community down. So let me make you laugh by telling you a black joke. Mm, 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 mm. And what are you trying to do? You're trying to uh, get approval. And it's not just conservative settings either. It's liberal settings too. Mm. You're trying to gain the approval of the white gatekeeper. My, my, my. I'm not. I, it's an audience of one. It's an audience of one. Is God pleased and is my congregation helped? Has Jesus been lifted up? However we get there. I'm not, I'm not preaching for a grade. I'm not preaching so y'all be like, he the best preacher ever. I'm preaching so that I will, at the end, it'll be said, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest. You've done what I called you to do, not what they said you were supposed to do. I think that's really the essence of what it means to be a witness. So that's the perfect note. To sort of take with us and digest until the next episode. That's what it means to be a witness, man. Well, we appreciate you, Pastor Preacher Tyler Burns, for schooling us in black preaching and really just biblical Christian preaching. Very informative. I hope the seminarians and the homileticians yeah. aren't cringing too much, but <laughs> give me grace. Give me grace. <laughs> I just want to say this as respect. Give me grace. Give me grace. But we still got a little bit more. You know, everybody really liked that three question segment. Everybody, so, like yeah. everybody, yeah. So like, we gonna bring that back. Hang on, <laughs> we'll be right back after this break. I got three questions for you, Jamar. We're back here on Pastor Mike Jamar. Here we go. Three questions, three questions, three questions. We got to call the segment something like the, I don't know, the Taylor Three. Like Tyler Burns tries to get Jamar. <laughs> go ahead. I'll let you start. I'll let you get a free shot. I'll let you start. Okay. Um, Don't get yourself in trouble with this now. But, bro, you've been trying to get me in trouble. <laughs> what is your favorite or most frequent guilty pleasure? Okay, most frequent guilty pleasure. Man, ooh. I want to say a late night ice cream run at Sonic, man. That Sonic Blast, bro. Get you. That late night ice cream run. I can relate. Yeah, I think that's that's what it's going to be. Okay, um, Jamar. Here we go. All right, come on. Someone gives you a million dollars. What's your first purchase? Oh, first purchase is something for my wife. Uh, whatever she says, she wants uh uh-uh, fits. Uh-uh, uh-uh. Absolutely. You don't get to do... I'm sorry. That's it. literally the first thing that came to mind. 
What were you going? What What would you get? Are you not going to tell us for her? Yeah. Um. She She doesn't like like stuff. She wants experiences. Oh, so it's, bet, it'd bet. probably be go someplace. So it's a trip. Yes. Okay. Bet. Bet. Yes. All right. Number two. Number two. Okay. Number two. What book are you reading right now? Oh man, the book that I'm reading. Oh, what am I reading right now? I am reading um, uh, "Winners Take All" by Anand Girdadas. Remember, I was talking about mm-hmm. him. I am reading that. Um, I also just finished a book called "Farewell to Mars" by Brian Zond. It's kind of a book about yeah. uh, nonviolence and things like that. Um, and there's another one that I'm reading. There's like three different books. Uh, oh yeah, "The Supper of the Lamb" by Robert Kappen. Okay, yeah, that's got three land. of them yeah, going. Yeah, All right, yeah. okay. So I, t- I try to read a little bit of a little bit of everything. One culture, one like theology, one kind of you know practical ministry. So <laughs> you smart, you smart. Not really. Um. <laughs> all right, Jamar. Number two. If you weren't a historian, you would be a journalist. A journalist, yeah. really? Yeah. These two things are very closely connected because of the research aspect and. Uh, even now, you're seeing more and more journalists delving into history. This is how Ta-Nehisi Coates became somewhat of a household name, right? The case for reparations. Uh, this is how Nicole Hannah-Jones becomes somewhat of a household name, the 1619 Project. Hmm. Um, what I love is to be able to work on lots of different projects. So it's never a boring job. You get to travel, uh, depending on the kind of journalist you are. You get to do, you get to tell stories. And I think that's Mm. what I love. That's what I love about history. And then journalism is a similar route. Actually, when I majored undergrad, it was American studies, but um, that was sort of the major if you wanted to go into journalism. Okay, bet, man. All right. Yeah, you just know. All right, go ahead, go ahead. Okay, for you... Have you learned how to play spades yet? No. And, and let me tell you, let me tell you, this is why this is not fair. But let me tell you, y'all don't be teaching. <laughs> There's a window. Say, I will say there is one. I got a shout out. I don't know if she listened, but the one person who has, who has volunteered at different occasions to teach me, it just never worked out, was Zakia. Oh, really? Zakia did. She was like, I'll teach you. She's being a real Christian. Yeah, she's being a real Christian. <laughs> All y'all, this is, how, this is how it works. Kev on stage, he's talked about this. Everybody says, oh, you don't know how to play? You don't know how to play spades? You don't know how to play spades? Yo, you don't know how to play spades? Oh. And then what do you do? You don't teach me how to play spades. And then you know what they do? They do the little tutorial. Go see the video online. <laughs> don't nobody really, watch no nobody video. Nobody learned that way. Nobody learned that Come way. Come on, man. They refresh that way. Yeah, so no, and if anybody wants to teach me, let me know, and don't send me no tutorial video either. <laughs> I don't, I don't like that. Okay, last question for you. Um, what's your favorite breakfast food, bro? Ooh, um, d- does it have to be like one food or my favorite like breakfast? Go ahead, tell eat? us. Make us all hungry. Oh no, it's just bacon and eggs, man. Straight up, it's all protein, no carbs, tasty. It's not quick. For some reason, it takes me forever to make. How would it take you forever to make bacon and eggs? First of all, scrambled eggs, to get them right, is a lifelong process, right? What it's are you like, talking about? It's like trying to find the perfect cherry blossom. That's a movie reference. You no, no it is cuts. not. Yes, yes, it is. Uh, uh, I think it was Gordon Ramsay who said, I can tell you everything you need to know about a chef by the way he or she cooks scrambled eggs. It's something that's so common and we think is so easy, but it's actually... A very tricky thing to get right. There's a point where it's done and overdone, and those points are very close to one another. There's the creaminess and the consistency. Do you use something to to? Um, oh, you do the on the heat, off the heat. You do yes, the on the heat, yeah, off the heat. Absolutely, thing? absolutely. That's not that. Don't take that long. 
it doesn't take that long. It takes that long to perfect it. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. it takes a while to perfect it. But, all but then cooking bacon, pretty, too. I don't, yeah. Use the creme fraiche in there, too? No. Okay, yeah. I was about to say, that's a very British. I was like, I don't do that. <laughs> don't do he that. did that. I was like, nah, I don't uh, do that one. Nah, doc. But yeah, I do that. Okay, bacon and eggs. Yeah, all right, yeah, I feel simple, it. Simple, simple. Anyway, these are three questions. That's our segment. Guys, thank you so much for joining us here as we have part two of our series on Can I Get a Witness? As we talk about the witness of preaching. And as always, you can respond to us at underscore Pastor Mike, at the Witness BCC, at Burns23, at Jamar Tisby. We'll see you next time for part three of this series. Can I Get a Witness? Stay tuned right here on Pass the Mic. This episode was brought to you in part by United We Pray. United We Pray is a podcast devoted to praying and thinking about racial strife, especially between Christians. Come join us in praying for the unity of God's people.